And here we go with this carousel of crazy where we don't have the appropriate penalty, then we're going to be chasing the, 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 the criminals over and over and over again until they ultimately make the decision to either kill someone or kill a cop. The evil person in Highland Park, Illinois, had been posting things and sure. almost every incident you examine, and I do a deep dive on every active shooter in the world, and almost all of them, someone saw something and it wasn't shared in a wide enough circles. I am absolutely prepared for the possibility that uh, Brittany Griner would be released and Paul Whelan would not. And that would be a really hard thing for my family, but it would be a great thing for Ms. Griner and I would be just as pleased for her as I was for Trevor. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Detroit police officer Lauren Kortz was killed in the line of duty Wednesday evening. Kortz, a five-year veteran on the force, husband and father of two, was responding to a 19-year-old gunman firing an assault rifle out of a building indiscriminately when he was struck by gunfire while still in his police vehicle. WJR Senior News Analyst Lloyd Jackson updates the facts on the senseless tragedy, and Detroit Police Chief James White talks to Paul W. Smith. But I'm frustrated, and please, nobody call me mad. I'm not mad. Mad is a useless emotion. I'm focused. This is unacceptable. And this should be the line. Whatever your tipping point is, this should be it. That's Detroit Police Chief James White, who is grieving along with his department and the citizens of Detroit after a five-year veteran officer, Lauren Quartz, was gunned down last night on Detroit's west side. Police received that 911 call around 7.30 last night of a man firing a gun indiscriminately in the area of Joy Road in Marlow. Second precinct officers arrived within minutes of the call. As the officers arrived on the scene, they immediately took fire from the subject who was armed with a Draco assault rifle. And Officer Quartz was hit while still in the patrol car from the subject who was firing from his residence above a commercial building. Officer Quartz's partner, Amanda Huggins, began to apply pressure to her partner's wound as the subject came out of his residence and began approaching Officer Huggins with that assault weapon. Chief White says she is a hero as she was bracing herself to die while trying to save her partner's life. He's advancing on her with the AR or I'm sorry, with the assault rifle, the Draco. And she glances back, braces herself, and continues to apply direct pressure. Thankfully, there's another officer there who stops the threat. She's a hero. She's beyond hero. Officer Quartz was taken to Sinai Grace Hospital, where he later died from his injuries. Chief White says the subject was... 19 years old, he may have had a warrant issued on him for an assault of crime, but that's still under investigation. But again, we need help. We lock him up, keep him locked up. If you violate the law, there needs to be a penalty for it. I don't see anybody fearing a penalty for it. Officer Quartz is a husband and father of two children, a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old son, and a 9-year-old daughter. He had family ties to the Detroit Police Department. His father just recently retired from the department. Officer Quartz yesterday volunteered for a double shift and was working that second shift when he was killed. Chief White says he personally thinks the motive of the subject was suicide by cop, but the investigation into why Chris is still ongoing. Detroit Police Chief James White, the worst duty that he has is this duty in informing a family of the loss of a loved one. And Chief, I'm sorry you have to do it even once. Once is far too many times, but it's happening 
with too much consistency around the country right now, the number of police officers we lose uh, while on duty. And he really is a hero, and he did exactly what he was supposed to do after a time when we were exposed to some police departments in other cities uh, not doing what they were supposed to do. This is an officer who was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, and he was ambushed and killed. Good morning, Chief. Uh, good, good morning, Paul, and, and thank you uh, for acknowledging our hero. Uh, we mourn for him and his family. Our, our department mourns, uh, the city mourns, and it's just an extremely tragic and heartbreaking uh, situation for all of us. Uh, but, but we're resilient. Um, we are not defeated, and we'll, we'll stay together as a family and get through it. There is senseless violence all around us. Uh, there are people who blame the guns. We just had a former prime minister, Abe, in Japan, assassinated. He was assassinated with the most unusual-looking, jerry-rigged, homemade gun made out of pipes. If somebody really wants to do harm, they're going to do what this guy did, or they're going to use their vehicle or any number of other ways to hurt people. What we need to get to the bottom of, Chief, is what is so wrong in our country that is showing us so many angry, twisted people. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think one of the problems is, uh, you know, punishment and uh, really recognizing what that is and, and what the design of it is. I think that there has to be consequences to uh, bad behavior. And uh, I think with the courts being closed because of COVID, particularly in our city, which is where I'm speaking about, uh, and just getting back to their docket. Um, and then you add on some other factors like mental health. Uh, I mean, we've gone down this path, but, you know, there has to be an absolute certainty that if you commit a crime, uh, that you will get the requisite uh, punishment for that crime. And I'm not talking about uh, putting people in, in, in fear, but certainly uh, making sure that we recognize that we live in a civilized society where when things that you do wrong, that there will be the appropriate punishment for what you do wrong. And I don't think that people fear at this time, uh, you know, punishment. I think that they, they, they feel that, you know, I'm going to be out. I'm going to get a low bond. I'm going to get a tether. Uh, oftentimes they go right back to those areas uh, where, where the problem happened and, and, and away we go. I cannot imagine the frustration chief of doing your job well, that is, arresting these people, and then having them turned loose so quickly by idiotic prosecutors. We, no, I'm not talking about our local prosecutor, but prosecutors, uh, by and large, that are incredibly liberal and have these ideas of having to be more fair with bad people. I'm not exactly sure what that's about, but... It causes these people to not be strangers to the police. This is a guy who basically was choosing to die by police. I know there's a, a term for it. Uh, and and this is a guy that was not unfamiliar uh, to the police in our area and to trouble. He'd been in trouble before, probably shouldn't have been on the street. 
Yeah, you know, it's so many layers to the thing. I mean, it's in this particular incident, the tragedy involving, you know, our officer, um, you know, this is a person who made a decision to use an assault rifle or assault a handgun, which is pretty much, you know, the, the, the capacity is, is pretty much the same as a rifle. He comes out, he engages an officer, shoots through the window, kills, kills the officer almost immediately, uh, and then, you know, comes after the other officers that are on the scene trying to render aid. And thank goodness that the officers reacted with their training and stopped the threat. Um, you know, one could argue when you look at the circumstances, and I certainly feel this way, that this was a suicide by cop because after killing our officer, this murderer uh, decided that he's now going to engage other officers with, with a likely result. Uh, uh, and, and so it's my view that that's exactly what he wanted. What's, what's most frustrating is when you look at the fact, you know, that uh, – there was a warrant that was being typed for him. And I'm looking into if that warrant was actually in the prosecutor's office or if that, that warrant was, was on someone's desk. I don't know, but I'm looking into it because he shouldn't have been on the street in my opinion, but I have to, I have to run that information down. Um, you know, I, you know, this is a situation where our prosecutor, you know, in Wayne County has been very supportive of, of our work and, and signing at a rapid rate. My frustration uh, it's, it's, it's the bonds. I've got a, a, a neighbor trouble incident where the neighbor stabbed uh, a dad and, and his, his adult son. And that, that person, after the officers did an amazing job, Detroit police officers do incredible work. They're good at what they do. Get the bad guy, bad girl, type the warrant, submit it, warrant gets signed, person gets arrested, and guess what happens? He's out on a $5,000, 10% bond. So what, what do we think is going to happen with this case? You think they're going to make up as neighbors when you stab two people? No, something's going to happen. And when that something happens, it's likely going to be greater than the thing that happened before. And here we go with this carousel of crazy where we don't have the appropriate penalty. Then we're going to be chasing the, 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 the criminals over and over and over again until they ultimately make the decision to either kill someone or kill a cop. And that's the truth. And that's what we've seen happen. Time and time again across the country. And when I, I, I don't, I'm not attacking Kim Worthy by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, thank, no, no, I thank, didn't take that. No, no. Thank God we're not in New York where the prosecutor there is a complete bumbling idiot. And a bodega guy, a, a guy, 51 year old guy working at a bodega, chief. I don't know if you heard this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a woman wants some potato chips, doesn't have enough money on her government issued uh, card. To get the potato chips, so the, the the guy running the bodega pulls the chips back because he's going to have to pay for them if somebody takes them without paying for them, and uh, and she screams at him and goes and gets her boyfriend. The boyfriend comes in, jumps over the counter, starts beating up the guy, the fifty one year old guy working the bodega. This is a a thirty some year old guy, and he's beating the heck out of this guy and the 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 guy working at the bodega. The guy working at the bodega grabs a knife, stabs this guy to defend himself and they arrest the bodega guy for stabbing and eventually removing the threat of this punk and yet it's the bodega guy who gets arrested now that's going to get fixed or there'll be riots in new york oh yeah we, we haven't seen those kind of riots but they'll be they'll be hell to pay but it means that we're upside down chief we are upside down the police are the good guys. The police are on our side. Do police make mistakes? Yeah. Everybody in every job can be found to be making a mistake from time to time. 
But generally speaking, the millions of interactions police have with people on the street are good and positive experiences. Absolutely. Not bad ones. Absolutely. And yet somehow, with the help of the media, the cops became the bad guys. And I think that's part of it. I think that's part of where we we find ourselves where, um, you know, this this anti-police rhetoric has driven uh, this this attitude towards law and law and order and, and, and law enforcement. And, you know, when you have that coupled with all the other layers that we've seen, you know, with COVID and the courts and all these other pieces, I, I agree. I think that that is that drives it. But we can fix it. Right. I mean, we, we, we've, we've got to stop having meetings about meetings and start taking action. And, and when we, all of us, all of us in these important seats need to use them. Uh, and they can't just be used for talking about what we're going to do at some point that never occurs. It's time to do something. And I think what we can do, we can do constitutionally. Two things can be true at once. You know, we can certainly hold uh, bad police officers accountable. But as you've indicated, the overwhelming majority of police officers in this department, and I would argue in this country, get it right. You're right. And it would be the equivalent of, of not going to a doctor because some other doctor in some other place uh you know, uh, had some misconduct very, or, or, or very good or point. malpractice. The gunman was shot and killed at the scene. The Biden White House has been in contact with Brittany Griner's family after the WNBA star wrote the president a handwritten note from a Russian prison where she has been detained since February for allegedly possessing hashish oil, which she pled guilty to this week. Paul Whelan from Novi has been locked in a Russian prison since 2018, and his brother David talks to Chris Renwick on The Guy Gordon Show. Since uh, December 2018, when Paul was arrested, uh, we haven't spoken to either president. Mm. So the, the the word that your family has been using is astonished. Is that is that is that fairly uh, describe how you continue to feel? Well, I think that describes how my sister felt. Uh, she has been, in particular, over the last year or so, making requests to have that conversation with President Biden. And I think the White House has created a perception, uh, perhaps not a real one, that uh, for wrongfully detained individuals, their families need to somehow get the attention of President Biden himself through mm-hmm. a meeting or a phone call because there was this media speculation and other speculation when Trevor Reed was released that that is what was definitive. That's what caused his release to happen. And so there's this this concer- concern, I guess, or confusion about what we're really supposed to be trying to do. Do we need the president's uh, attention in that manner in order to be successful to get our loved one released or do we not? Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre said that Griner has been top of mind to President Joe Biden. Do you do you feel based on the actions that you've seen this administration take uh, on behalf of Trevor Reed and now on behalf of of Brittany Griner? Do you feel that that your brother is is top of mind to the president? I absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, even today, uh, Elizabeth was able to go in and speak to National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, as a group of families, there are about 50 Americans wrongfully detained around the world. Uh, we've been able to have uh, discussions as a group with both Jake Sullivan and also twice now with Secretary Blinken. So, yeah, I think the first two years that Paul was in uh, detention in Russia, we didn't get any response from the White House from the administration uh, since February of 2021. It's been much better. Uh, first of all, I can't believe it's been three and a half years. I mean, I, I, I just I can't believe that. 
Um, We've been talking a long time, Chris. <laughs> I, we, we sure have. And I appreciate uh, that, that you're willing to do so because I know this continues to be a difficult time for you and your family. Um, but I guess, I, I, you know, you said confusion earlier, and, and, and I, I, I feel confusion as well from the outside um, because it, it, it feels like things are being done, but your brother isn't involved. And, and, and I look at this Brittany Griner situation, and I, I am left to wonder if Brittany Griner wasn't a WNBA player. Would she be getting this same kind of attention? And and I don't, you know, her, her her alleged charges aren't, they're not egregious. They are apparently to the the Russian legal system, but they don't seem to be egregious. Yet they're holding her, and yet she continues to be uh, to hold some celebrity status. Um, and it feels like more is being done on her behalf, and and that's where my confusion kicks in. Yeah, I, I don't. I guess that's not my perception. I, I feel like what we are seeing in the Brittany Griner case is someone who is certainly more of a celebrity than Paul Whelan is and whose uh, case is much more condensed. So mm-hmm. uh, Brittany Griner, from arrest to trial to uh, guilty plea today, uh, she has condensed into essentially four months what Paul uh, experienced over 18 months mm-hmm. uh, between when he was arrested and when he was uh, tried and convicted. So I think some of what we're seeing is both the celebrity play out, but also just really there's a lot going on. And if if I were to say anything about the celebrity part or the uh, attention that is being given to Miss Griner's case, I think the the thing is to, to note is the benefit it has had on raising awareness about Paul's case, because uh, the Griner supporters almost uh, uniformly say uh, both Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan should be released. And I think mm-hmm. that's really been useful. Uh, I've spoken to sports reporters who have had zero interest in Paul's case before, <laughs> who are now very interested in it. And so it's almost like another group of Americans realize that there are these Americans being wrongfully held in Russia. I remember when we talked after Trevor Reed was released um, and, and, and you you belong, you and your family belong to a very exclusive club that nobody wants to be a part of. And, and that is you have family members that are being detained somewhere in the world. Um, and in this case, in Russia. Um, and I remember talking to you after Trevor Reed was released, and and you told me that you and your family were uh, were excited for Trevor and, and excited for his family, and and there was some potential health problems for Trevor. So you were you were happy that he was being released, that he was going to be receiving some some treatment that he very much needed, and he was going to get to go home. And and I found that to be um, really reassuring because you're in a tough spot. But you did tell me you felt like this was a step back at the time. And and I'm curious to know how you can have that type of mentality, because, again, you're in a tough spot. Your family's in a tough spot. You want your brother home. Your, your parents want their son home. Your sister wants her brother home. H- how do you continue to have that mentality? Well, as you may know, I'm an immigrant. I moved to America a couple months ago. <laughs> and uh, I think one thing that Welcome. has drawn me... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. One thing that has drawn me is, uh, and you see this on social media all the time, is this sense of fairness about that Americans have. You know, Paul's been over there longer. He should come home first. There's, yeah. uh, that there's sort of this this expectation of how people should be treated. And, and I think that I take that to heart. I think that you have to think about how would you want people to be treated fairly? How do you want people to be treated kindly? And frankly, uh, each of these cases is uh, distinct. There, It's like three different trains on three different tracks when Brittany and uh, Trevor and Paul were all in Russia. 
and each one could potentially get solved individually, like we saw with Trevor. I, I am absolutely prepared for the possibility that uh, Brittany Griner would be released and Paul Whelan would not. And that would be a really hard thing for my family, but it would be a great thing for Ms. Griner, and I would be just as pleased for her as I was for Trevor. It's- Seven people dead, more than 40 injured when a 21-year-old gunman opened fire at a 4th of July parade in suburban Chicago. Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard with Chris Renwick. In the meantime, what's being done locally here to try to head off some of this from happening? And and look, we know what gets put into security at something like the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, but what about parades in Royal Oak or Berkeley or Novi, Northville? These little communities that put on July 4th parades, Memorial Day parades, whatever it is, What goes into actually protecting parades like that? Mike Bouchard, the Oakland County Sheriff, he joins us this afternoon. Uh, And and Sheriff, I appreciate the time. I I know that through all of your years in police work, your work with the major county sheriffs of America, this is something that you don't take lightly. but, But what goes into the preparation from a police standpoint into protecting these types of events? Well, it depends on the event and the venue, but a lot goes into it. Some seen, some unseen. Some of it is how how vehicles are positioned, how you try to limit access to the parade route. Um, that's why it depends on the venue. So if you've got, let's say, a, a tight, maybe a downtown Pontiac kind of parade, mm-hmm. you know, you can limit access to the parade route in certain ways, either with barricades or with trucks or other vehicles. If it's a longer route, like let's say in Clawson, that's a harder thing to do because you've got so many open curb cuts and it's a, it's a mile and a half, two mile walk. I was in it yesterday. So there's a different kind of process to, to being involved in those kinds of open air things like green crews. So we do a lot of things, some seen again, some unseen. Um, we use our aviation heavily. Uh, that gives us eyes and gives us access and gives us response capabilities that without aviation, you simply wouldn't have. Well, you know, th- this in, in, in look, I, I think in smaller communities, in smaller counties uh, across the state, they may not have uh, the technology or, or some of the, the, the financial aspects that maybe you have in Oakland County. But but right. how much collaboration goes into some of these other communities? Do they reach out to you? Is there is there work being done amongst police agencies across Michigan, for example? I mean, if you've got a, 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 a parade going on in Grand Rapids or if you've got a parade going on somewhere in Kent County, would they reach out to you to try to find a, a help or, or uh, resources, whatever it is? How much sharing gets done? Probably not so much across the state to, for a parade in Grand Rapids by us, but certainly, um, like, for example, we've helped at the Detroit Fireworks in a number of ways and, and with different resources. So in the Tri-County area, we are very deeply partnered on whatever one needs, we're happy to respond. And that's, you know, all aspects, whether it's, you know, capabilities like our dive team, like we stood up and we are the backup for uh, one of the other counties dive teams when they were busy with something else. So we're very hand in glove. And, and here in Oakland County, any police chief can call me anytime and anything they need, they're going to get from us 24-7. So if they've got an event or something and they need something from us, whether it's helicopters or dogs or SWAT or you name it, it's coming. Um, we send our search and rescue or our aviation or our you know, all of our assets all the time immediately. But that's that's where 
you know, when you consolidate and share those resources. So every community in Oakland County, for example, doesn't have a helicopter, but they do because sure. it comes at no cost from us because they're in our county. Yeah. And so that allows us to spread some of these really expensive pieces of equipment across a larger pool but make it available over a much larger pool. Well, you know, and the, and the other part of this, too, is is certainly, you know, even, what was it, a couple of years ago, the, the I don't remember if it was a July 4th parade or if it was a Memorial Day parade, but some that, that uh, uh, criminal ran the car through the parade, killing people. In this case, we've got a, yep. an active shooter. What do you tell people that maybe are are thinking or rethinking about going to one of these parades? It's it's a it's a time to celebrate. It's a time to go out and see people, especially coming out of a pandemic. But but I would imagine as more of these events stack on top of each other, the hesitancy for people to go out to these events probably becomes more real. What do you tell people? Well, you know, in a free society, you always balance how much security, omnipresence you want versus, you know, not having it. So, for example, when I've visited other countries, how they handle, you know, events like this. I've gone to Israel. I've been in Colombia. You know, I learn from countries where they have some serious daily concerns about attacks on large-scale events or communities or even a mall. You have to go through concentric circles of security to get into a mall in Israel. Sure. America's not at that point. They don't want to be screened two or three times to go shopping. Yeah. And and so it's all a balancing act of how far do we go? And what we try to do is do everything we can first to hear about it. And that's where see something, say something. This this person is an evil person in Highland Park, Illinois, had been posting things. And sure. almost every incident you examine, and I do a deep dive on every active shooter in the world, um, and I have for almost 20 years. And if you look at those, you'll see in almost all of them, someone saw something and it wasn't shared in a wide enough circle. So yeah. if somebody in the school, another student or uh, an administrator saw something and they share it with the police and then we bring in mental health uh, folks and we work together, you can interrupt these kinds of things. But if one person doesn't share information and it doesn't get vetted, then that's when you can have a tragedy. And I, I'm telling you, there are people that knew this guy was about to go off. Yeah. And well, that will be found out through the investigation is my intuition. You could add property taxes to the list of things you'll be paying more for because of inflation. Susan Tompor from the Free Press helps us sort it all out and I'll talk with Tom Jordan. The good news is um, there is a cap for people who've been in the home for a long time. Um you know, there's a lot of debate about Proposal A and, and this, but there is a cap. And unfortunately, for to a certain degree, unfortunately, the inflation rate has gone up so much. So uh, what will uh, impact you this year is that the inflation rate adjustment is going to be maybe a little bit, a uh, bit more than double than last year. Mm. Um, it's close to double. It's going to be 3.3%, and that's less than a maximum of 5% allowed. So it is better than having, um, you know, your home value go up 10% and your property taxes go up 10%. You've got a cap here um, if you're staying in the home. It's a 3.3% rate hike um, on the taxable value. And kind of the simplest, easiest way to figure that out is, you know, if you paid uh, $6,000 in taxes last year, a 3.3% inflation adjustment is going to add up to another $200 this year. 
So it it is adding up just for, you know, that's assuming no changes in the millage rates or, or anything else, you know, no no big addition on your home. And Lord knows if you drive around town, you're seeing a lot of people doing big additions on their homes. Um, right. But that's, that, that doesn't include that as well. What's interesting, um, you know, one of the uh, points of this piece was it's not just the 3.3%, but Patrick Anderson at the Anderson Consulting Group uh, pointed this out to me that next year um, we are looking perhaps, given the way inflation has been going, at hitting that cap of 5%. So it will be another increase next year because simply because some of these inflation numbers are already baked in. It's not a, it's not a done deal um, because uh. they have to get a few more inflation figures, but most of us aren't seeing inflation slowing down in the next few months. And uh, so we will um, see another increase. So, you know, uh, one of the things I wrote is, you know, on an estimated tax bill, maybe in Livonia, you might be looking at $169 extra this year. Um, say your home had a taxable value of 125000 So, you know, of course, on a smaller home, it means uh, less of a dollar adjustment. On a bigger home, you're going to see a, a bigger uh, adjustment there. But this is an inflation thing. So on the one hand, it could have been worse, right, because some of these assessments are going up quite a bit. Um, you know, your neighbors are uh, selling their homes. Now, the two things to remember in Michigan, those caps don't apply on that second home. And I've heard from, you know, people with second homes talking about how much their taxes have been going up. Um, you're probably even seeing some people sell their second homes because the tax is going up so much, uh, you know, homes up north. And then, of course, if you buy a new home, I have also heard uh, about people not really factoring in how much their taxes will be compared to the old owner. So if you're looking to shop to buy a home, you don't want to look at, you know, what the current property taxes are because um, if that person's been in a home for 20, 25 years, um, you can be sure that you're going to be paying a lot more than they're paying because their taxable value isn't uh, anywhere close to the assessed value if they've been in a home for a very long time. Yeah, so those are very important points to point out there. So you've got, if you're going to do an addition on your house, on your home, that added portion is now susceptible to the full tax rate, the full value of that. Is that what you're saying? And that's part of, that's one of the, I know if you buy a new home, that's the case as well. But just for the addition, if you say you want to expand your kitchen or you want to add a, you know, a, a third or fourth bedroom, that portion is now susceptible to the tax rate based on the assessed value of that addition or the whole home. Um, it's going to add to the value of your home. Um, there was a really good example in, in Oakland County, a nice brochure that was put out uh, by the Oakland County uh, office, and it'll explain to you a little bit about when you add. In, uh, and the way I read it in that brochure is if you're adding on a $40,000 addition, it, I believe it's going to add half. It, you know, it doesn't boost up the taxable value at a full full portion there. Um, okay. um, but, you, you know, you need to check that out as well, because you do need to make uh, clear as to, well, how much is this going to increase my taxable value? Okay. So let's um, look at this. Uh, so people understand what this means. So let's say you've got a home. It's it's now worth $300,000. Uh, what are we looking at tax-wise? Is, is that the... Is that what you, you, I know you did the 6000 yeah, rate. It's a very, that, yeah, it's really important because you've got a $300,000 home and I've got a $300,000 home, but when did you move into it? Ah, So that's that the key in Michigan. Oh when did you move into it? How, where is the taxable value? Because just because my home is next to your home and they're both worth $300,000, 
doesn't mean we have the same taxable value. Um, that's part of Proposal A. Um, you don't. Uh, uh, you you are only increasing it based on inflation. And nobody really talked about that much before because we really didn't have a big inflation, um, you know, didn't have a lot of inflation, and so some of these things were limited. Um, but now it is going to – it's important to look at your assessment. You get a notice of assessment in January, and on that notice it will say the taxable value will increase your tax bill by approximately – you know, is it going to be $200, $100, whatever. And if you want to debate, you know, or um, object to how much your taxable value is uh, or how much your assessed value is going up, you can do that. There's a process to do that. Um, but, it, you know, it is important to uh, to look at these things and, and to review them as you're, as you're going along. That'll do it for Potsui this week. For full episodes or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.